Welcome to the We Are Media podcast, everybody. To kick things off, we have with us Iona Townsley. Iona has worked in most offshoots of marketing since the start of her career, including email, social, content marketing, and copywriting. She fell into digital PR, which has allowed her to explore her creative passions at some of the top agencies in the UK. You may also recognize Iona from her very popular, highly subscribed to newsletter called The Grapevine. The Grapevine is a creative content newsletter that rounds up almost every single digital PR campaign from the from the past month. Highly recommend subscribing to it, especially if you're, you know, in the world of coming up with digital PR campaigns, which can be very hard if you're lacking a source of inspiration. So she fills that um, void for me. And today, Iona is going to give us a crash course in creative ideation and shareable campaigns, so highly relevant to the topic of our discussion today. Anywho, welcome to the podcast, Iona. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That was an amazing intro. Oh, thanks. And Jacqueline, welcome too. We love to also have you chime in. Hi, I'm happy <laughs> to be here. Excited to talk about all of the awesome things that you do and have done. Thank yeah, you. I would say ideation is personally one of my not so strong suits. So it's always Same. welcome to have <laughs> someone who's an expert on the topic here. And yeah. Iona, I actually was wondering, how did you fall into digital PR? Um, you mentioned that in your bio and just out of curiosity. Why don't we start there? Yeah, definitely. So it's a bit of a strange one. Um, when I left school um, at sixth form, I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. Um, and I wasn't the kind of person who was going to kind of fall into uni and just do something just because I felt pressure from my parents, but also, I guess, society a little bit. So I floated around for a lot of the beginning of, um, I guess, my adult life, but also my career. And that's why I ended up tapping into lots of different parts of marketing. That's why I've done some emails and social media. Um some blogging, some copywriting is because I just started kind of falling into that kind of um, area of marketing, but never specializing in anything in particular. Um, from school, I knew that I was incredibly good at writing. I'm really good at storytelling. And usually if you're good at those kind of things, that's why you fall into marketing a lot of the time. Um, but then I had a marketing role at a place near um, Leeds where I live. And they, I was doing a lot of social media stuff, but it wasn't anything I was particularly passionate about, um, which I kind of personally felt bad about, but also I just wasn't enjoying it at all. So after that, I found that there was a job that you could do that was digital PR. And I hadn't heard of it before in the past. I'd heard of PR, but more of like the general creative. Um, I heard of advertising, but not anything that was kind of linking SEO with PR stuff. So I ended up actually applying for a role with SEO Travel, which is this amazing kind of small boutique, travel-specific um, PR agency. And I started working there and I found that digital PR just kind of like vibed with all the different parts of my brain. So writing press releases, thinking of creative ideas, talking to journalists, it was so varied and so fun that that's kind of how I fell into it. And I think I fell into it quite late on from when you'd normally start a career but it just completely clicked with my brain. Um, and that's kind of how I fell into it. And then I've been there, well, not at the company, but I've been in digital PR roles ever since. I feel like the travel industry in particular can be pretty difficult for digital PR in a way. Mm. Um, just because there are 
some, I mean, it's a pretty crowded market. So do you kind of, how do you feel about, and, and as someone who's come from an agency, you've worked across a lot of industries. How do you feel about having started in the travel world? And as to compared to where you are today, I'm not sure what industries you specialize in right now. Do you have a specialty? That's a lot of questions in one. (laughs) That's okay. I think I can cover them. Um, So I started in travel and I'm really glad that I did actually because travel is something that I've just got a really natural interest in. I used to do a lot of blogging when I was younger. Um, I've done a lot of traveling myself so I kind of get it as a topic and I think if you're interested in a topic it makes it 10 times easier to work with. In my last role and on my last two roles actually I've worked with a huge kind of client base that have gone to lots of different industries. So travel in itself is difficult in what you've said that there's lots of people, lots of competition, but I think there are certain ways that you can definitely get cut through. And I do find travel and I've found other people have found travel to be like the most fun to ideate for, the most fun to work in. Because while you've got lots of competition, there is lots of stuff you can work with. So when you're doing maybe a personal finance piece, you're looking at stock photos of money. It's probably much nicer to be looking at Japan and Australia and all these places that you can (laughs) eventually go to. Like it kind of goes hand in hand, I guess, with a lot of people's interests in general anyway. But now working on a completely different scope of clients, I've actually really enjoyed it personally myself because I thought that I wanted to stick with travel for a very long time and I thought that was what I was strong at but it's actually diversifying the topics and the industries I work in that's made me realize that I vibe really well with lots of different um, areas that I didn't think I would do so for example home was a massive struggle for me for such a long time like I could not make it click I didn't get it I don't own a house I don't really have any interest in DIY I don't care about what color my walls are so there was this huge barrier of entry for me to find interest in that topic to be able to do it well but it's one of those ones that I've managed to flip which I find quite weird Mm -hmm. Um, but now I've learned how to tackle home and how to tackle difficult topics so another one for me is personal finance I've found that I just naturally managed to vibe with it but I didn't I would have known that if I'd stayed in the travel industry so there's been a huge amount of growth but there are still topics I'd say that I struggle with And I think people are just naturally going to struggle with certain topics, especially when new things are popping up all the time in terms of like the internet or technology or cryptocurrency, for example. I feel like some topics, there's such a huge barrier for entry if you're just not naturally like associating with them. And that's okay because you'll be good at other things. You can't just be good at everything. Right. Yeah. And I like that. I like that. I mean, you got to start somewhere. I liked how you phrase it too, as um, you flipped it. Like you said, you weren't good in the home space, mm-hmm. but you flipped it um, or you weren't good in uh, personal finance maybe. And then you flipped it and now you um, are, you exceed or excel in it because you have a better understanding. Yeah. I think a lot of people do struggle with certain topics, especially when they're starting out in the PR journey, because you don't know the tools and you don't have the things that are going to help you kind of understand something that you don't care about. Like that, that is the black and white of it. You might not give a crap about a topic, but you have to because that's your Mm -hmm. role. But I think lots of PR people do have that moment where they're struggling and they're working out strategies and they're trying to get it. And then it just absolutely like clicks for them and all the work pays off in the end. And it's just a beautiful moment. 
Yeah. And sometimes you find yourself even more interested in the topic before. Yes. It can come in handy in your personal life. Yes. Personal (laughs) finance for me. The amount of research (laughs) has saved me since COVID. Thank God for that. (laughs) I guess it's better than getting addicted to like TikTok or something. Yeah. Not that that. I'm not trying to watch TikTok. We'll put that under the carpet because I am definitely addicted to TikTok. Why don't we go and Jacqueline, do you have any questions for Iona before I dive back into our topic of today? No, no, not yet. Okay. I'm very, very entertained right now. (laughs) I'm glad. I know ideation, the topic of ideation, we can sometimes go off in a bunch of tangents. So let's go to bring it back to the main um, objective here and talking about just the process of ideation, brainstorming, whatever it is that you might call it, listeners. I know there's lots of different terms. Um, Iona, one of the things you you have a process for, um, I think you dubbed it the cycle of an idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the first part of the cycle is, of course, the brief. And personally, I know how important it is to make sure that, especially when working with other people, you know, a team and the client as well, who has some, you know, can have a totally different expectation than the one that you might have. Um, it's so important to create a good brief. Can you kind of go into that a bit more and give us your favorite pointers for doing so? Yeah, definitely. So um, for the purpose of this, I guess there's two different briefs that you're probably going to work with when you're actually creating a campaign. And the first one is the creative brief. And that's going to be kind of the place that you start from um, after you've had your conversations with the client and you kind of have a general gist of where to go then there's also the brief of you've got the ideas signed off by the client and you know exactly what campaigns you're going to be working on and then those briefs are the ones where you're going to be really specific with the assets and specific with the project but um, the one that I like to talk about because it relates more to ideation is a creative brief and I think that a creative brief is genuinely one of the most neglected documents in PR um, I've been at places where they just haven't existed, which baffles me. You're given a topic and then you're kind of like pushed down to the deep end and you're like, here you go, like work with this. And you're like, yes, but where's the information that I need? Um, and I think it goes two ways as well. I think you can have no creative brief, which is just as damaging as if you have a creative brief that's four pages long, has every piece of information you could ever want or need. But having a creative brief that is that long, it really restrains people. And I think even when you sit down in front of it and you've been given it, you're like, shit, like what am I supposed to I don't know if I can swear on the podcast. Can I? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I know this is going to happen. Yeah, please so do. <laughs> swear as much as you possibly can. Um, sorry, yeah. Yes. So a long brief can be just as damaging as a short one. And I think um, that when you have a longer one, you get put too much into a box and you can't work in it because you're trying to just kind of watch out for all these different things that you're not supposed to be doing or that you are supposed to be doing. It's really hard to work with. And I've been in that position before where I've helped create processes um, far, far in the past where I've been trying to like help with the ideation processes of an agency. And I've fallen into that trap of creating a brief that's way too detailed thinking, if I make it really detailed, nothing can possibly go wrong because it's so detailed all the information is there but it really hinders people you need to have like a beautiful medium 
So for me, with a creative brief, I'd stick, I'd keep it to a single page. And I don't mean a single page with like size six font, like keep it to a nice 12. Don't try and like sneak stuff in there. Um, But it stops you from making bad decisions. It stops you from making like big time consuming mistakes in the future. It essentially pushes you in the right direction. That's why the document's so useful. Um, And it also, to be fair, helps clients know that you've listened so you've had your conversation with the client and you know certain things about the business or what they want to work on and then you put that into the brief and it means that the client doesn't have to go back later on and say actually we didn't talk about this or actually we told you about the specific thing it leads the ideation team into the right space so I've actually got a mental list of things that I like to um, put in a creative brief And I think it's worth noting, like, I'm not telling people, like, this is black and white. This is how you have to do it. Everything in ideation, even the process that I like to follow, is completely fluid. And that's how it should be. And because campaigns are always going to be fluid, you can't necessarily put them into a box. But there's certain things that I like to focus on. So I think there's some key things in a creative brief that you need. Um, The main thing, I think, in general, is that you need to know what your goals are. That's essentially what's going to end up forming the entire campaign, but forming the kind of areas that you're going to look into. So quite often in digital PR, backlinks are going to be the main thing. But in terms of backlinks, you can look at the kind of topics that your client wants to focus on. You can look at if they want niche sites, do they want high DA sites, like what's best for their website. That's going to help you go down specific routes when you're ideating. Other things as well are if the client wants to focus on specific keywords, if there's pages of the business that they really want um, to have backlinks to. So like it might be category pages are usually quite valuable um, or maybe they want it to certain product pages. And then also, do they want traffic, which should probably be something that you naturally get from backlinks anyway, but it's a good thing to keep in mind. And then also usually for PR, you'll have brand awareness anyway. But it's nice to keep these things in mind because then when you go forward and you start thinking of the types of campaigns that you want to create, you're going to know if you want, for example, a social strategy, if you're literally just doing it to get some backlinks, if there's certain keywords and topics that you need to focus on. I think also looking at target sites specifically um, in a brief is really useful. So for example, if you needed some niche sites from the home space, you might have things like apartment therapy because that's really like high top level domain that's going to help but then you also need kind of the smaller ones which I can't think of right now but I'm sure there are many Um, and it's good to keep those kind of top on the brief because then you can when you're like searching for information and trying to ideate you can quickly go in there and see the kind of topics that they're covering. I'd also include past campaigns um, because it helps you understand the landscape of what they've done in the past especially if they've worked with a previous agency especially if they've told you things that they didn't like about previous campaigns that either they or the previous agency ran. So that just helps you in general. And then also example campaigns of just to give you a good starting point, really. So if you found some campaigns that are in the niche or the topics that they want to look at, or the client said that they really like these campaigns in general, it's a good place to put it there as inspiration. And finally, my two big ones, because I've fallen into this trap before, and I'm sure lots of people have, in the creative brief, you need your budget, because if they've given you a tiny budget, you can't be Ah. trying to put (laughs) out of home, like big billboards everywhere, if it, it simply doesn't fit in the budget. And along the same kind of line as that is limitations. So 
can they put interactive stuff on their website? Is that possible? If not, you need to know these things before you start ideating or else your idea could just completely crumble or you embarrass yourself in front of the client because they're like, ah, okay, do you think this is possible? You're like, yeah, sure, why not? And then it turns out you have to spend 30K of your agency's own money because you've oversold something. I was telling Jacqueline, um, just as an aside, there's a lot of rabbit holes we could get go down here with the answers you gave on the brief. But one thing that I just wanted to shout out is that you mentioned paying attention to the smaller sites um, mm-hmm. when you're looking at not only what the larger sites like apartment therapy, for example, are covering. Um, we've talked about this on the, in the past with um, journalists, in fact, how sometimes, you know, they'll they'll get their, the larger outlets will get their stories from the smaller sites. So you don't want to overlook them, right? Mm-hmm. And also a win is a win. And sometimes you might find that that smaller site has a more niche and engaged audience Mm -hmm. and the benefits could go on from there. But I wanted to shout that out. And I think that's really interesting too, that you um, try to keep it to one page, the brief. Um, I've worked at agencies in the past where briefs have gone on and on and on. And that just leads to coming up with topics that weren't even brought up on the client call and um, just out of curiosity, if that happens, do you do you go down that brainstorming path? Do you look at you you know think of ideas related to that topic, even if it wasn't brought up on the client call? Or it sounds like you stick strictly with topics that the client brings up. So usually, if you're going with like the topics that the clients brought up, it's safe territory. But I'm very big on like please like break the rules like experiment have some fun it's good to stay with the topics because obviously that's what essentially the clients ask for and say you've got a travel website there's certain things that you're not going to start straying into because it's probably completely wrong for them so like maybe crypto is probably not the right topic to like start going down a rabbit hole on with a travel client but I do think that there's a lot you can find lots of topics surrounding a more general topic and you can go down those rabbit holes and explore them. But I try and keep stuff relatively on topic so that you're not, for example, being a betting website who's like promoting something that is just completely nothing to do with them. Like there's certain topics I get with certain clients and they fly and it makes sense. But I wouldn't stray too far. I'd stray enough that you're still having fun and it still makes sense for the client. But don't start just kind of like being like oh shit I don't know how to do this topic I don't know what I'm going to ideate for I'm just going to pick this topic and play with that one instead that's good advice yeah it makes sense I think that covers everything I wanted to ask about what goes into a great brief Iona has way more details on you know creative ideation and creating shareable content in the slide deck that we will link to in the notes uh, we're jumping all o- well not all over the place we're jumping through it pretty quickly mm-hmm. so we recommend giving that a look um, and we'll link to that like I said Iona, once ideation commences, um, what are your go-to tools or websites of inspiration for coming up with these ideas? Where in the heck do you begin? So I think in general, everyone really struggles to find a place to begin and there's no completely right answer. Everyone's got their own processes for it. I think for me, what I like to do is go onto Google News. Um, I kind of search topics um, or like specific things around those topics to see what people are currently talking about. 
it gives you a good idea of what journalists are covering but you can easily and quickly also filter out the stuff that might be more appropriate for reactive opportunities so that's what I tend to do to kind of like just get a bit of a I guess mental word cloud of the stuff that journalists are covering how they're covering it um kind of like what emotions are being brought up with those um pieces of coverage I guess and then I kind of I like to go to Reddit sometimes. So Reddit is a beautiful, beautiful place where there's unfiltered like ideas where people get really into the topics that they want to talk about. And you can see the stuff that people are like finding interest in in those niche topics. So there's a lot of gaming Reddits. There's stuff specifically for like PlayStation, so Xbox. If you go on Xbox, like the general kind of threads, you can sort um, by the last year what the most popular posts have been. And that also gives you an inkling of what people are engaging with, more so probably than publications, because you know what journalists are covering. But by doing it the Reddit way, you can find out what people are actually engaging with, what people and audiences are genuinely interested in. So doing it the journalist way, you know what journalists are going to cover. But then if you do it the Reddit way, you can find out what people are actually going to engage with. And essentially, journalists want something that people are going to engage with. So they're both really good ways of like starting with ideation. That's clever. I love that. <laughs> do you do do you pitch as well, Iona? Yes, not recently, but I have. Have you ever used that Reddit engagement as a way to try to sell the story to a journalist out of curiosity? I actually haven't. That's a good idea. We've tested stuff on Reddit beforehand to kind oh. of pick up any issues that we might have with data to kind of see how it's going to be received. Interesting. So sometimes you get pick up from journalists who look at Reddit themselves to find kind of topics that are happening. I haven't kind of lured, I guess, a journalist proving that the engagement is already there. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point and I'm gonna steal that (laughs) (laughs) I have not either I mean I guess as long as it hasn't been covered on an outlet or like a publication it's a huge selling point Um, but even if it has I mean uh, yeah just an idea I guess too I think I've thought of it about it doing that in the past but I'm not a huge reddit user Mm. I think Um, it's an interesting one because when you're pitching you want to suck them in instantly with the story and like I get it's like one of those classic things I guess that needs to be tested because I can see a journalist being like oh you've said it it's like is getting like this topic is getting picked up on on reddit but really like just give me the story why are you sending me all this like extra stuff like I'll tell you if it's gonna be good or not um but yeah I guess it's just one of those ones to try and test and see if if it works all right cool well going back to your go-to tools you've got reddit um what else do you rely on or reference when you're ideating so hrefs is like a really um nice one in general to use if you're kind of having a look at competitors you can put a competitor's url into hrefs and then search the entire um website's pages and find best buy links and usually when you do this at the top, you can find like it's usually their homepage, maybe some like really popular categories that they have. But then often you'll find the PR campaigns that they've done in the past that have done really, really well, because the whole point of that campaign is obviously to earn backlinks. So the backlinks are going to be much higher than, say, the normal blogs that they're not actually pushing out to journalists. So by doing this, you can see what 
um, either a competitor or someone in a similar um, industry or topic sphere to you has been doing in the past for inspiration, but not just that, the stuff that's actually worked. So I've got a love-hate relationship with my own newsletter um, because essentially it's doing a similar thing. It's providing people with campaign inspiration um, that should go forward and then help them ideate. But it's a bit of a double-edged sword because the newsletter sends people a massive chunk of stuff that's happened in the past month and it helps them look at new methodologies they can put them in hrs and find out what's been working well they can look at the kind of topics people have been exploring but the issue with it as well is that you can get bogged down so easily in shit content there's so much stuff on there and i don't want to be rude that doesn't have that many backlinks and if you're using that for inspiration and you don't filter out or identify why that thing might not have worked, it's really easy to start just repeating people's sins Mm -hmm. of the past, and then you end up doing them again. So I've always had this caveat with the grapevine where I think it's useful, and it helps me, and I know it helps other people, but it's not a be-all and end-all. It's a tool to use, and you need to be able to filter stuff to be able to use it well. You can't just kind of like take it from... Um, face value you need to actually start you need to like physically use it if that makes sense yeah I use your critical thinking skills and I really that not repeating the sins of the past is so brilliant because I think you get so many like people who are not in the space but they hired you to do it be like oh look at the competitors why don't we do what they did this had so many backlinks or maybe it didn't have backlinks but either way like how does that differentiate like how how do you really like work towards greatness with an idea if you aren't using your critical skills um, which I think is what you're alluding to yeah 100 percent. there's so many kind of campaigns that you can look at and there's a million and one ways why it works or a million and one ways why it Mm -hmm. wouldn't have worked and it's maybe it's just completely managed to piggyback off something that's trending at the time and that's why it's done well Or you could look at it and be like, oh, actually, it's not done that well because the data hasn't been as strong as it should be. But you need to find out, especially from the coverage or the feedback you've got from journalists, why things have worked or why they haven't worked. And I think we're very good at looking at campaigns and kind of trying to suss out why they haven't worked um, and jumping to the easiest conclusion. But we're also very good at looking at campaigns that have worked and instantly assuming that that's going to work again just as well instead of looking at it looking at the coverage and being like it's worked for this reason they've used this particular asset this is how they've talked about the data and then going from there to make better campaigns in the future Uh, speaking of critical thinking skills this could be a really great segue into discussing your process for validating an idea Mm -hmm. Um, but before we go into that of course were there any other tools or websites that you recommend besides reddit and ahrefs um i guess i've got two uh the first one is Another love-hate relationship, I think, with everything I have in my life is a love-hate relationship, it seems. Uh, (laughs) It's called Answer the Public. And you put in a search term, and or a keyword rather, and it basically tells you what people are searching for on Google around that particular keyword. Um, And I think it's another one that you can get easily bogged down in unless you know how to use it right. I find it the most useful for topics that I have no freaking clue about. So I remember I was given um, a smart home client to ideate for, and we all know home was not my strongest suit um, a while back, but smart home, a niche within the home industry, 
I was like, what is going on? I have not touched a smart home device in my entire life. Like, I don't know where to start. And I was messing about on like Google and Reddit and trying to get a feel for it, trying to get a feel for what people were talking about. And I just couldn't really vibe with it that well. Um, And then I started searching the topic up on Answer the Public and trying to have like a bit of a better idea of the kind of questions people are asking about smart home. Like maybe if I'm struggling with the topic, other people have questions about it as well or are searching for particular things that are going to help me have an in. Um, And I found loads of like actually useful things that people were asking and that people were talking about that helped me build ideas off of. So I think one of them was like, can smart homes be hacked easily? And I was like, shit, that's actually really interesting. Can they be hacked? And then that just instantly gives you like an in to start exploring what journalists are talking about in terms of smart homes being hacked, how you can create it into like a campaign. Is it more like of a reactive thing or can you actually do something, find some data um, to start ranking maybe the top things that have been hacked, the easiest things to be hacked? Just kind of having that in with hard topics, I think it's really useful for so straightforward I love it like I mean it's like not rocket science right but you have to again use your critical thinking skills for something like that yeah yeah I like answer the public too yeah it's just so useful I remember when I found it and I was just putting random keywords and I was like oh my god thank you thank you for existing (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's so much more fun looking too than like looking at um relevant keywords in ahrefs (laughs) yeah I mean it's useful but (laughs) Yeah. To a point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And you said one other one, I think, Iona, one other tool or website. Um, I wouldn't call it a tool, but I find I did this in my talk as well. I find experiencing life as sappy as it sounds <laughs> genuinely makes you a better creative. So mm-hmm being naturally curious we can all say I feel like it's just such like a nice buzzword like yeah I'm curious I'm curious and it's like being curious and practicing that in your everyday life is going to help you be able to ideate um, campaign ideas and just ideate in general so being curious in your own life might be like going to a museum reading a book that you're not particularly interested in seeing a film or a documentary about a topic you don't understand just generally being curious and picking up these tidbits of information because when you're putting an idea together it's essentially like two or more things that you're putting together in a new way and the best way that you're going to be able to come up with ideas is by having more things to play with that's how you're going to come up with more unique things and just help you make connections in general is by knowing more about the world so I'm very big on kind of if you're ideating just be like passively curious as much as possible because that's going to help you in the future. That's a beautiful quote. We're going to quote you on that for sure. Okay. <laughs> to say it again. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Cool. No, okay, that was well, great advice. I think too that, well, we have that last question on the process for validating an idea. Mm-hmm. Iona, do you, can you quickly sum that up or should we just wrap it up there? I mean, I really loved that as the end, but it's up to you. I don't mind. I can talk through it if you guys still have time. Okay. (laughs) Cool. Awesome. (laughs) Why don't we go ahead and talk about that then? What is your process for validating an idea before making the decision to move forward with it? I, with validating an idea, I think the most simple process you can possibly have is just to ask yourself very simple questions about the idea. When you're ideating, I feel like it's really hard to stop and breathe sometimes. 
you're just barreling forward and quite often especially if you're in an agency you don't have enough time to actually sit down and think is this idea actually going to work you've just gone shit I've been given six hours like I need to pitch this client really soon I haven't been given enough time so then the validation part of it is the easiest part to just drop off um so I ask myself a ton of different questions that I guess you're mentally going through anyway when you've been ideating a lot because you're like is this possible like is this interesting um but some of the top questions I like to ask are things like what is the purpose of the campaign so in terms of why are you actually doing it like why does a journalist care about this campaign that you're doing does it add to a conversation are you adding value are you just adding more noise into the world that isn't actually going to help anyone or anything when you've got a purpose for your campaign or say it's got like new data or it's highlighting something that's really important or you've got a new viewpoint it's adding stuff to the world and that's the stuff that journalists are naturally going to pick up on and want to talk about um, another one, I guess, is can you explain your idea clearly in like one or two sentences? I'm was really bad at this. I love a convoluted idea. I remember one time I pitched an idea to one of my old agencies. It was about gnomes and Christmas, just to give you a bit of a shoe in. <laughs> and when I was describing it, I was talking for half an hour, like no one knew what I was on about. It was horrendous. And I still think it's a bit of a good idea, but. The, like because I couldn't put it in one or two sentences it just wasn't gonna work like we all knew it and it's not just that it's not gonna work but if you can't make it succinct for a journalist how are you gonna get a subject line out of that if you can't describe yeah. it easily within like five minutes to a client how are they going to give you buy-in for it so a really important point I think is to make sure your idea is can just be super clearly written down um, and then I guess finally one of the other important questions that I like to ask is, is the data that you want to use available? So I think a lot of people have fallen into this trap where they think something is doable without actually knowing if it's doable or not. So in the past, I've done the same where I've just gone ahead and gone, yeah, I'll pitch this idea. I'm sure that's easy to find. And then you get to the end of it and you're like, oh no, oh no, where do I get this data now? Um, but another point on data is not just that it's available. Is it ethically sourced is it something that you can actually use um is it telling the story that it should be telling and is it watertight so data i know has been a big conversation in pr i think mainly last year it came up quite a lot but having these thought processes before you move forward with any data story is going to make sure that even if a journalist questions you someone else in the industry you can give them a really good answer because you've already checked it out. You've validated your idea and you know it makes sense. That's a really great advice. Um, the worst is when you present something to a client and you don't know how you're going to get the data. So yeah, yeah, one of the lessons I learned back in agency life early yeah, on. Yeah, I want to caveat that, that whenever I mention that I've done something horrendous like that. This was years ago. Yeah. <laughs> not like yesterday. I was like, oh shit, that's a good idea. <laughs> do you have, Iona, do you have like, I don't know, a document or somewhere where you keep ideas that you maybe didn't include in a deck or maybe your clients didn't choose it's just like a bank of ideas to maybe reference later 100 percent. so I oh. have a ridiculous amount of ideas that and haven't worked for any clients that have come up or I've just randomly thought of them I've got a sheet in my phone I've got a notes app on my computer I've got a google docs on my computer I've got a trello card I've got a swipe file I've got literally ideas coming out of my butthole just floating about on every <laughs> device that I have um 
which is so helpful. So I always find that 50% of the ideas that I've been passing on to clients or working on an agency, they're ideas I've come up with in the past because I've just naturally thought of them. So that same, going back to the same thing as just being curious in your daily life, you'll find that the more curious you are, the more you're naturally coming up with ideas that you can then use for a client. And you're just gonna have like constant like lists of stuff that are gonna end up working in the future but you're starting to like train your brain, make these connections. Um, and you just have this stupid wealth of ideas floating about that are like ready to be worked on. Word to the wise for everybody who's ideating and just tossing out their yeah. ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Next um, time that you're talking to your boss and they're asking you why you're going to a museum for two hours, just say it's for ideation. Yes, there I like that go. too. Really good advice. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Earn Media. If you head over to weearnmedia.com, you'll find a summary of the episode along with links to any of the resources and more information about our lovely guest and where you can find them online. If you have any topic suggestions or just general PR questions for us or future guests, email us at podcast at weearnmedia.com. Of course, you can also find us on social media. Our handle is at weearnmedia and we're on Twitter and Instagram.